Not a lot of movies this month. In honor of January Dump Month, what was the first movie you watched in 2024? I'm Katie Rich, and it was uh, Martin Scorsese's Silence, which I had never seen before, and really does have that kind of like stark, like deny yourself, new year, new you kind of vibe if you look at it a certain way. (laughs) I'm Matt Patches, and I apparently, according to my letterbox, watched Desperately Seeking Susan in the first week of the year, and... It is a revered, uh, would you call it a romantic comedy? Has anyone seen this movie? I've never recently? seen it. I thought it, I always thought it was more of like a coming of age, like it's like a romantic kind of thriller. Thing. It's kind of like a funny, af- funnier after hours, a hi- full of hijinks. Not a great movie, even though Susan Simon is revered for, for making it. But uh, I'm glad I watched it. Needed more Madonna. That's what I'll say, as most things do. Hi, I'm Dave with the Seven. On January 3rd, I watched Blood Rain for the first time. And this that? is the, the UA Bowl film. Yes. Oh my God. Why? Because uh, we were doing worst movies to be released in January on Trial by Content. And Trial by Content finally got me to restart my Letterboxd. Uh, hey, because... look at us promoting Letterboxd. I'm follow on this you right episode. now. Uh, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've been keeping my diary up, but only adding reviews to the absolutely bad movies that I happen across. Uh, Are you so Dave with a fun. seven? I am. It happened since Wrath of the Titans. <laughs> Oh, I already followed you. You're only adding commentary to the bad movies. Well, because the other, the other, I'm only adding commentaries like one bad movie a week if I feel like it. Because otherwise, um, all of my review content is podcast content. So why would they just get it on Letterboxd when you could listen to well, you Fighting in the Order? Tweet sized reaction. Yeah, I do. You do like a, you do like a one sentence. I want thing. like a good goof or a very cutting observation. But I, I don't really appreciate people who post fun letterbox without commentary. Uh, okay, a blood break. I have. So uh, what yeah, do you my, do? my letterbox review of seething. silence was two sentences long. <laughs> I'm glad they gave Michael Madsen a sword, so at least he looks like he's interested. Blood rain. Um, uh, but yeah, but that's the end of the lightning round. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you, it's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 458. It is the week of of Wednesday, January 17th. That is, oh boy, Dave. That is the date that in 1987, President Reagan signed a secret order permitting covert sales of arms to Iran. Yeah, look look that one up. We're not not playing on this week's uh, week in history. It doesn't seem like a a great one. So uh, they also also started evacuating Auschwitz because uh, the Soviets were coming into Germany, which might Mm. fit with our review. Topical. In 1987? Uh, No, no, on January 17th. And oh. uh, and the Sex Pistols broke up. Those are my mm. options. Uh, okay. Iran-Contra, Sex Pistols, evacuation We probably of didn't Auschwitz. need to uh, evoke Auschwitz more than necessary in this episode since it is going to come up later. That's what I figured. And, you know, uh, if you don't know about Iran-Contra... You'll have to listen look, to look, why look Auschwitz is coming up. Yeah. Uh, Fair. So uh, we're down to David this week because he's not at Sundance, but is watching movies from Sundance. I don't even know if we're supposed to say that he's seeing these movies outside of Sundance, but who cares? He's not here to talk about it. Um, and we're not going to do reviews and emails because we're trying to keep it tight. We also have a lot of them. Yes. You've been on a whirlwind trip. I've been on a Katie. whirlwind world tour, uh, by which I mean, I went to Los Angeles and came back. Um, and going to try to, and you guys are going to talk about something that I literally didn't know if it was a Marvel thing. And so you're going to, you're gonna More do spoilers. it without me. Katie's Katie's Marvel, gonna be around. Auschwitz. Are we talking about X Men? We're talking about <laughs> Olivia Munn's bathing suit at Auschwitz. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> well, let's kick it off then, so Katie can uh, get get back to her life. Yeah. kick things off we're just gonna catch up with with katie and her hollywood adventure because you katie you actually did something that um for years i guess any of us 
for most of us. Dave, you're not in the group. I'm sorry. Correct. Uh, you could actually be because you podcast. You could you be. Should potentially. I'm, be. I'm, I'm, in, the Denver, I'm in the Denver group. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Critics Choice you gets the, the best screeners. You could definitely get in the Critics Choice. Uh, well, it's actually called the Broadcast Film Critics. It's not. It's now called the Critics Choice Organization. Oh, shit. I'm well, in catch it. Oh, no, no. I'm out. I'm out that's, next year. That's why Dave's you're not invited to the awards. The point here is that for years, I guess we could have gone to the Critics' Choice Awards. We know people who who do, but none of us are in L.A., so we've never gone. But, Katie, you actually were to do a live show for Little Gold Men, which I'm sure people can listen to on that. Yeah, it's live now. Eve. I met a uh, at least one person who listens to this show, I believe, and has been Lily listening Gladstone. since the Opkino days. Yes, I'm Lily <laughs> Gladstone. Um, but, yes, it's uh, also on the Little Gold Men feed. Now, anyway... But you, while in L.A., were able to attend the Critics' Choice Award, which is like a real award show. It, feel, it doesn't feel as real as maybe they as real as the, the Critics' Choice organization would like it to be. It's not quite the Golden Globes. We it is spent like a CW. year trying to box out the Golden Globes and to replace them, and it didn't really work. But, it, but yeah, it airs on television. Chelsea aired, Handler hosted. It airs on the CW. Uh, even Christopher Nolan had a nice sick burn for the CW in his speech where he was... Uh, kind of thinking one of the co-authors of American Prometheus. And he was like, this is for you, Kai. If you, a Pulitzer Prize winning historian, are watching the CW on a Sunday night. Which was wow. Really, it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher uh, Nolan's got jokes. Yeah, burnt. Uh, he seems to be having a great time. He does. I think he's, have, he's like smiling so much and making jokes like his Peloton story. Went oh, viral. yeah, which I also witnessed in person. I've really been on a roll. I think he knows he's about to win an Oscar and that his movie is probably going to win Best Picture and he is just living. And I think that Killian Murphy kind of hates all of this stuff. So, like, Nolan and Emily Blunt and Johnny Jr. obviously are kind of overcompensating by being really charming. So, Murphy can just be like, hello, thank you for this award. Goodbye. And, like, disappear into the night, uh, which seems to be what, what he would rather do. Uh, I did not you, sit with the Oppenheimer group. I did not see them. And you were present for all of this. You were at a, a real they, award show. I was at a real award show. And like, I agree with you that the Critics' Choice Awards does not feel real in the same way as the Golden Globes. But like, everybody was there. Like, for so I had a really good table. Thank you to the good people at Netflix for putting me at the May-December table, which was really right up by the stage. Like, the, the, the guys with the cameras were kind of like hovering around behind me all the time. Like, they seated me. So that I was faced away from the stage. So then, the you know, the camera guys could kind of stand at the lip of the stage and more easily catch the people at my table who are famous, like Will Ferrell, the producer of May, December, and oh, Charles right. Melton and Julianne Moore, the stars of May, December. Um, so, you know, that's fine. I understand that. But so they were like right behind me the whole time. And like everyone's at tables. It's like at the Golden Globes where you're like sitting at a round table with like dinner uh, is, a, is a loose term because it was a literal. Was like, dinner? It was like a little box, like um. Not a cardboard box, but like An a paper box dinner. with like a plastic clear screen like you'd get a pie in um, with charcuterie, like meats and cheeses. And Julianne Moore didn't want her cranberries, but there were dried cranberries in there. Um, and then they brought out pizza in a bag, which you might remember from Paul Giamatti's speech. Um, he referenced that. And the pizza in the bag was like remarkably bad, like really bad. Uh, as you it might imagine, for like, like in a bag served to 350 people Los or Angeles, however many. Not any of the cities where good pizza is made. I had very good Italian food after the Critics' Choice Awards, like at a real restaurant. So they can <laughs> do it. Um, but so like I'm at my table and so can like look down, you know, the tables are all kind of like in a row. And like at the next table next to me is the Maestro table. So Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan are sitting there. And then the next table over from him. I can't remember. But like if, at some point, like if someone moved their head and like you know i could see through the crowd i could see bradley cooper oprah ryan gosling and lily gladstone like all in a row and i was like god these people are all here it was really yeah. pretty impressive can we, can we hold on bradley cooper for one sure second? you're you're tracking all of this awards nonsense indeed the maestro is not going to win anything would you, dis would could you win agree makeup. or disagree My, okay it could, it could win makeup it could win sound I don't think it will win sound, but it could. But like, it's not the top dog in any category. No. It's not predicted to win anything no, big. No, it's but kind Bradley of a classic. Cooper is showing up. It's Maestro's kind of a classic Netflix thing where they throw a fortune at some auteur and get a bunch of Oscar nominations and don't win anything. It's a real Irishman. It's, it's a real Cooper power of the dog. Auteur. Um, that's a yeah. I mean, he's the author of his films. Mm -hmm. If, yeah. he takes okay. all the, okay. if he takes all the chairs <laughs> off his set and doesn't let people sit down, he's definitely not tour. That is the most uh, like overdone Christopher Nolan rumor thing. I mean, like, 
No, I think Bradley Cooper is the author of his films, a classic de- definition of an auteur. He's someone who, like, we pay attention to. Um, but no, he's really out there. Like, he, I don't know, likes, he's an actor. He wants I guess people he's to just pay having to him. fun because he, he's not really fighting for an award at this point, he definitely I would imagine. But is. Like, really, you think I, he's, like, putting in the politicking and the campaigning to maybe sneak in... Do you think, well, do you think he's going to get nominated for Best Actor? Does yes, he just definitely. want a nomination? Yeah, I think he's definitely going to get nominated for Best Actor. I think he wants a recognition for his film. And, like, look, every time I start thinking that, like, someone, like, I was just saying that about Killian Murphy, and I think maybe he genuinely doesn't care about this. But for a while, I was like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, like, he's been out there doing a lot of stuff, but it's all in support of Lily Gladstone. Like, he's really emphasizing her. Like, maybe he really doesn't want it. Like, he's got an Oscar. He's fine with this. And then he went and did, like, a, like a Q and A on stage with Regina Hall at the like a theater in Los Angeles, and they screened uh, Wolf of Wall Street or something. And I was like, oh, okay, no, Leo does want this. Like he's they're out about there to be in a movie together. Stuff. You saw that, right? No, it makes they're, perfect sense. Yeah, it's be great. In PTA's movie. Like, oh my honestly, god! I would have loved perfect. to go to that event. What a great pair. Um, but no, they all want it, or at least like the people who were involved around them wanted enough that they understand the importance of them doing it. Because you know, a lot of people put work into making a movie, and if like you're the face of it. And you have the opportunity to help more people know about your movie and you don't do it like you're just kind of saying true. fuck you to the other people who helped you make showing it. showing up is as much about promoting and getting people to watch Maestro on Netflix as it is winning the Oscar Yeah, getting to be heralded as an Oscar potential. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the huge reasons that I believe in Oscar season and I care about it, even though it's ridiculous is because it gives the the ability for these movies to exist. Um, even if you don't love Maestro, like we can all be grateful for a film economy in which it can exist. Pause so. for David. Ranking yeah, David's going to parachute in. David. Uh, Bradley uh, Cooper wait. was wearing glasses at Critics' Choice and looked fantastic. This is he, the thing. He looks, he's looking fantastic. They all look game. great. Like um, <laughs> the marvelous Mrs. Maisel table was behind us, and um, right, like, Amy Sherman Palladino was there, and then like Michael Zegan, who plays like her ex-husband. Did you guys ever watch any of the show? Wait, uh, I just saw a clip of him. He went to jail in the show. What? Oh, I was like, oh no, yeah, I'm yeah. about to praise someone I who went to jail. That, much of a pregnant pause. <laughs> that was not that much of an arrested development joke. Um, no, he just, I looked at him, I was like, wow, he's really good looking. Like, I would, on screen, all I never would have paid any attention. They're all really, really I mean, like, Lenny Kravitz was there. Like, of course, like, he's Remember really when we met too. Angelina Jolie, Katie, and, and our literal breath was taken away? Someone asked me while I was in Los Angeles, I cannot remember who it was. I, was it the list? It might have been the person who told me that he listened to Opkino. If it was you, write me. Um, like, if I ever get starstruck, and I was like, Angelina Jolie in person is like one of the few people who I've been like, whoa, you're not the same species as the rest of us. Salt junket. I remember it well. Salt junket. <laughs> yes. Uh, can, I, salt junket. can I sneak in a bit of Oscar trivia here while we're just talking about Bradley Cooper on the campaign trail, hanging out with his glasses at the Critics' Choice Awards? Recently became aware that Bradley Cooper is a nine-time Oscar ooh, nominee. Ooh, are we going to try to do it? Do Could you possibly run okay. down this list? Nine okay. Oscar okay. nominations. All right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, American Sniper. Well, can you, you're going to have to be specific here about what the nominations okay, are. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to do the acting ones first. American Sniper, American okay. Hustle. Did he not get nominated for American Hustle? Um, no, he did. Silver Linings uh, Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook, yep. thank you. That's one. Uh, a Star is Born. Yes. Um, I think those are the only so those are the four, four acting, acting ones. Yep, okay, then right. uh, American Sniper Producer. Correct. A Star is Born Producer. Correct. Joker Producer. You thought I was going to forget ding, that, that one. That is <laughs> a good curveball, yes. <laughs> Which I, um, makes sense now that why Lady Gaga is in the sequel. There's a Bradley Cooper connection to Joker, too, yeah. right? Well, and also Todd Phillips, like, that's white. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Did Todd Phillips produce Stars Board? Probably. He did, actually. Wow. Um, he do- what like, a crew. Um, hey, hey, hang on. Um, writing Stars Born, is that one of them? Yes. Because I feel like he's been nominated in a bunch of categories. You got it all. There's one left. Yeah, there's one left. And... Is it in a category I haven't named yet? No. Oh, okay, so he produced something else. The hint is it's a best picture so a producer mm-hmm. nomination, and it's actually his most recent nomination. Oh, Nightmare Alley. Correct. Wow. Katie, rock. I it. mean, it's like I it's her up, job or something. I was it's on t- a long car ride. It's time to get back ride. on Quiz Quiz Bang Bang so you and I can win. <laughs> I went on a long car ride a while ago, and I was like trying to keep myself awake while driving, and I was like, 
name all the best picture nominees from like the last couple of years. And I did 2021 and I could not remember if Nightmare Nightmare Alley made it in. I had to get home and Google it. Like it just like tormented me. But now all I know the, it. All the post pandemic Oscar noms, just total blur. Did we see that like, together or did we see? Uh, we did. We went to the New York Film, at, 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 New, New York film it, Fest. Yeah, in uh, Lincoln Center. And we saw what's his name from Succession. Oh, yeah, Nicholas of... Nicholas Braun and um, Jeremy Strong were there together. They were just like wandering off into yeah, the night. Yeah, just being bros. It was great. Talking about their love of Nightmare Alley. Of carnies. Um, <laughs> what a, uh, what a well, walk down memory lane. Tonight. That is most, I mean, uh, Dave, do you want to know anything about the Critics' Choice Awards? No, I already know so much about the Critics' <laughs> Choice Awards. <laughs> All Besides you could ever in. want to know. Uh, I had a great time. I honestly, so, okay, here's the last thing I'll say. Like, the Critics' Choice Awards, I think, amongst us are kind of notorious because during the commercial breaks, many people like in the organization yeah. will come up to the celebrities and be like, hey, love your work. Can we take a selfie? And like, I was dreading that. I was really worried about like secondhand embarrassment. And it's not like it didn't happen, but there's also a lot of like, like Julianne Moore, like rush up out of her seat to go congratulate Emma Stone after she won. And like, Ki Hui Kwan is running around taking selfies with people. Like, it, there's enough of it going on in general that it wasn't so much like celebrities just being harassed nonstop. I have to uh, remind myself what movie Julianne Moore and Emma Stone did. Do you remember? Crazy Stupid Love. Are there two? Do you think that movie has a legacy? Yeah, I think it, I think it, well, I was going to say it's on cable a lot, which like, I don't know if um people, people watch cable. cable. You watch but, cable? Yeah, I think the like whole Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling thing is uh like, you know, that gif of him with the six pack and look like he's photoshopped. Mm. If nothing else, that lives on. a lot of gifs. He has a lot of gifts. Uh, yeah, I had a good time. I would go again. Please invite me LA. back. Critics' Choice. This January on Disney Plus, a little place and called... And Hulu. And Hulu. And Hulu. Uh, Disney, uh, still owning a percentage of Hulu, will eventually own uh, much more of Hulu uh, later this year. Um, uh, there was a big thing from Marvel Studios, which is their very first binge drop. We got all five episodes of the show Echo on January 9th, 2024. Um, it is uh, also <laughs> unique for a uh, Marvel Studios property is this is the first one marketed under the Marvel Spotlight banner, which means what does that? Yeah. What does that mean? It means you don't have to have watched any other Marvel things to enjoy this Marvel Spotlight. This is a capable entry point for newbies, which is maybe I don't think that's what it means. I'm just going to cut you off. That That is the myth of what it means. That's in, I think that's reading between the lines. That's not what Marvel says when they say Marvel Spotlight. They're like, this is for grounded, character-driven stories. Not, uh, I don't know, CG fantasy gobbledygook stories or something. You think that they're going to use this again? This is, what, this, is the, this is supposed to tell people you don't have to know what Doctor Strange did? I mean, it, this is why it was created, was to have some way of signaling to people you don't have to know what Doctor Strange did. Whether or not they've now changed it because they've decided it's going to be like street level or whatnot. <laughs> you I do don't need actually, to know what Doctor Strange did. I don't actually know. Uh, but I do think uh, the Marvel Spotlight banner resulted in some re-editing of this show. It was listed and ultimately went into production as a six-episode show. It is now a five-episode show. It feels like some things were missing. And uh, the first episode uh, was sort of cut together, much like She-Hulk had to have its first episode reworked, to just fill us in on everything that happened because it's Marvel Spotlight. So let's get a Jeremy Renner scene from Hawkeye in there. Uh, let's remind everybody what's been happening here. Let's uh, put... Uh, kingpin's backstory from the season one of the marvel netflix daredevil show into actual dialogue uh so people can join the universe 
uh, but also enjoy this character just on her own adventure for five episodes. Uh, each episode's uh, around 40 minutes long. I think the shortest one's like 35 minutes and the longest one is slightly over 50. Uh, so altogether, it basically comes down to like a three-hour Echo movie uh, in which Alakwa Cox, who is back as Maya Lopez, uh, when we last saw her in Hawkeye, she shot the kingpin in the face. But don't worry, they will show you that in the first episode <laughs> of this show. Uh, she goes back home uh, to Oklahoma, uh, not necessarily to touch base again with her family because her and her family don't necessarily have a great relationship uh, because they let her go off to New York and become under her father, uh, played by Zan McLaren, who is back from Hawkeye to do a couple of scenes here. Just a, a few good scenes. A few good scenes. Um, he was one of the Kingpin's underlings, and then eventually when he died, uh, by the hand of Hawkeye, uh, but really because Kingpin ordered it, um, we see the Echo become sort of the enforcer for Kingpin, and he starts treating her with sort of like a father-daughter relationship. She goes back to Oklahoma, not because she wants to meet up with her family, but because one of her uncles, Uncle Henry... He is involved tangentially in the Fisk crime ring, and she knows she could put some hurt on Wilson Fisk. She's coming for the crown. Why not a queen pin, she says. Why not a queen pin? She says, why not a queen pin? Why why not? She's just asking questions. She is just asking questions. Uh, But that is the majority of this five episodes uh, plot, of course. Kingpin's well, not dead. If you've I gotta seen give, the I want to give you major props for uh, summarizing a lot of the first episode, where I think most of the of the show seems to happen. Like when you're describing this, I'm like, then what? Not much else, right? Like this is a strange. I don't hate Echo. I thought Echo was pretty successful as a little detour for the the Marvel universe, a low key like. But not Loki, uh, show starring a character I'm like vaguely interested in, I guess, that I, do- I still don't know a lot about. And I, I was left intrigued. I was left wanting more. I was left maybe satisfied. I don't even know. I just, I didn't hate it. And that's a kind of a win right now for Marvel. I, um, what did you what did you make of Echo? Did did you find something to really chew on with this one? I found it just kind of like slipping off my brain and I was surprised I made it to the end, but that's probably because you told me I should so we yeah. talk about it. I, I don't think it's a great Marvel series overall, but I do like this direction of storytelling. Um I like that it goes back to sort of at least in this edited version that we all get to see. It, it tries something every episode, whether that's a big train heist uh, sequence, whether that is a very long, very touching sequences that are entirely done in ASL, uh, whether that's uh, flashbacks to her Choctaw lineage powers. Uh, it's it's swinging for something that most Marvel shows wouldn't touch. I don't know if it's swinging. It is culturally specific. And I yes. think that's where Echo wins, which is like, because we're talking about an indigenous population, we're talking about the Choctaw, because of the ASL. She's indigenous, she's deaf, she's an amputee. She's an amputee. There's just like a lot of layers to her that don't feel artificial. Like sometimes, you know, in this day and age when we're trying to make up for the extreme whiteness and straightness and uh, blandness of the last 70 years of pulp or comic storytelling we're, we're in this like rush mode where we're trying to make all these like catch things up and like be diverse and it feels really sloppy and almost tokenist um here it's it's just part of what echo is like marvel did the work in the comics on some level and it feels like hey we could actually get a new actress alakwa cox and she is an amputee and she is deaf and she's you know she's can perform ASL like it's real and you feel it in the show and that's the best part where it's like this feels culturally and and well just it's humanly stealing most specific. of the cast from Reservation Dogs really helps uh, it does feel like maybe Hollywood has not opened the gates and and found a lot of 
indigenous actors over the years because does this show have Graham Greene in it? Yes, it does. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> we're just checking boxes at a certain point. Everybody from like Smoke Signals is in it. Um, it doesn't feel like they've really done the work in that way. But I'm glad to see all the the cast. Like the cast is great. I just wish there was like this is not a good crime thriller show, right? Like it's no, not, there's, there's no not a lot of tension. There's not a lot of queen pin. I wanted no. more queen pin. I'm I'm convinced that was cut out. Um, uh, really? Just be- yeah. Uh, so I've heard rumors about what was cut out. Um, I I don't know anything for sure. I have to say that now as author of MCU Random Marvel Studios. But um, it sounds like she would have been uh, checking in with Matt Murdock back in New York to know about where to hit, and she would have sort of come to Oklahoma in the the series. She sort of rides in because she's injured. And she knows somebody there that, you know, could stitch her up before she decides to hit uh, her uncle's um, train car uh, business. Um, But she would be talking with Matt Murdock. There would be other people in New York already trying to take over Fisk's um, empire. So it would sort of be uh, she decides to approach it from outside while there's a bunch of, you know, insiders actually in New York trying to do those sort of things. Um, and that there was, uh, a little bit more, uh, with her sister, Bonnie, uh, played by Devery Jacobs, um, that was, you know, they actually had a chance to sort of bond instead of what happens in this current edit, which is, uh, Bonnie gets drawn in while crime's already kind of happening. And the only crime they could bring, uh, to Oklahoma are Kingpin's goons in this version of the story, which is why I feel like there had to be more there, at least in most, uh, you know, like Marvel stories that are structured this way. There's a like a central crime and then Kingpin comes back. But I like the central crime is missing from this edit. Um, and we are we're told at the end of the first episode by a single shot that could have gone anywhere in the series. That the Kingpin's still around, uh, even though Maya definitely shot him in the face. And we just sort of like, yeah, but he got better. A very Monty <laughs> Python uh, esque. So, yeah, I feel like there's a lot. There's a lot missing um, yeah. that re- would would have really made it sing. That's disappointing. But I'm glad they're with a uh, opposed to something like the Marvels, which also had a pretty severe edit. Uh, I don't think this one didn't sacrifice uh, all of its character for speed. It just sacrificed some of its incident for speed. And if you're going to do that, I would rather something like Echo than something like the Marvels that uh, suddenly has Kamala Khan using her uh, scarf as a weapon because they cut out the scene where she asks for her scarf to be a weapon. Uh, You know, things like that that sort of make the movie a little bit more herky-jerky. Echo, I could feel an absence, but I don't feel like anything was set up necessarily to go nowhere. I agree with that, and I I wish that it also felt... None of these Marvel shows have really been able to do this, which is, like, feel like their own... Thing. It's not directed in an interesting way. There's some cool fight sequences, but it's all pretty Each episode has like four writers. Like every episode has like four writers. It's, it's so... a little odd, but I will say it's most of the show is directed by this woman, Sydney Freeland, who made just a lovely film a few years ago that I, I rem- She stands out to me because she directed Drunk Town's Finest in, in 2014, which played Sundance. And I remember interviewing her for that and um and she's just absolutely lovely and again she is navajo and she is bringing authenticity to this i feel like she's been a little pegged as like an indigenous film film director and she like gets those jobs on tv shows and it's like we're still pegging people like you know these filmmakers can do a lot but you know when this opportunity comes around yes get sydney freeland because she makes good tv and i think brings more warmth or like a more understanding again that specificity i don't think you can fake that and and the scenes of like uh echo talking to her family are much more interesting than echo talking to fisk or the kingpin like uh, the what's supposed to work in this stuff doesn't and what doesn't usually work in marvel shows does so i gotta give echo a little prop for like making family drama and like being in where are they oklahoma yeah oklahoma you said um mm-hmm. Tama, I, I just, oklahoma yeah I, I that stuff really works and 
I, I did want to ask you, did you watch What If Season 2? I did watch What If Season 2. What a year um, for indigenous Marvel characters. Patrick. Yeah, they, they again, ha- they had to make one up for uh, What If Season 2. I'm glad they did. Uh, there's an episode, six episodes in, if you want to pull this one out on, on Disney Plus and not watch everything else, which I can't really recommend. But uh, what if Kahori reshaped the world? Uh, was another, it was about a, a, a young Mohawk woman um, getting infused Voiced with the Tesseract. Voiced by Jacobs, basically? who plays Bonnie in this. So. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, again, the pool here seems small, and maybe we could be doing more work for that. Um, but the, it's really a pretty cool episode, I thought, where like this young Mohawk woman is getting superpowers through the Tesseract and falling through a portal and then coming back and just like whooping conquistador ass um and then like zapping herself around the world and just like reclaiming the world in the name of the mohawk people and the indigenous people of america uh it's pretty badass but i gotta say like uh echo tries something similar a little bit or just like the the name echo comes to light or we understand what it means and generationally it kind of has like a watchman moment do you know what i'm talking about in episode three we're getting like a black and white fake film backstory oh, yes yes uh, that's the only it's like more of a formal kind i was like i, I was but, still um, thinking the comic book not the series the excellent watchman series but yes go ahead it's like a cool idea but i think what if ends up doing it better like finding scope this show echo suffers from not really being able to be as big as it should be and i hope that it's nice that what if found room for this made up hero and maybe we'll see her in the future in more stuff or I can't imagine live action, but who knows? Uh, but like more of these types of stories on this scale, on the scale, what, what if can do in animation? Unfortunately, I feel like, I mean, I don't know how, what you felt about echo episode three, but like, it's just not going to be that big. You can't feel like you're rippling through time and getting the kind of like full Marvel lore superpower blast but maybe you thought it was more successful than i did i don't know i mean i do like the, the fact that it knew it had a similar amount of story to bite off and i think kakori does great in her introductory episode but then she was also really great in the finale of the season um, oh maybe i should make it there i didn't get there i forgot oh. yes at the there is some more uh direct marvel connections in in her episode of what if that i guess yeah. I should have watched the final episode yeah. to see how Kikori and uh, Captain Carter know each other now. So okay, who who knows when that could happen? But um, I like that. I I, I think there was more Echo Power stuff. Um, in terms of like rumors I had heard as far back at the end of last summer, um, where you know her powers would manifest a little bit more specifically. Uh, but I also think that that might have gone the way of the re-edit. I do think, and I would like to give credit to Sydney Freeland for coming up with the idea that each episode is named after a line in the line of the Choctaw that heads to Echo. So we start with Chaffa, who's the first uh, Choctaw Indian, and we see her escape the cave. And then each episode is about adding a person to the line. So by the time we get to the Echo conclusion, which is like, these powers echo through you it's like oh hey i kind of feel like i was building here the whole time i still don't know what those powers are i don't know what she does at the end of the sea of the season the end is very odd <laughs> uh but I, I i'm okay with it because that the story i was on was her self-realization and i also think she they kept her in a place where she could turn hero or she could come back for kingpin i think uh, that's the power of setting it in her hometown rather than setting it in New York is I don't know if she is a hero or an anti-hero at this point. And I hope uh, they give her a chance to do something in Daredevil Born Again, uh, because I think Alakwa Cox is doing fun stuff in both the series she's been in. I think she should be able to uh, bring that out, even if it's not super successful hinging everything on her. I uh, wanted to wrap up this conversation by throwing something at you. That is more of, of just our typical thinking about Marvel and its place in this culture. Sure. Uh, here's my new theory. I don't think da- Daredevil Born Again will happen. And I actually think that there's not going to be any more Marvel television shows that are not animated. That I actually think, and I think this about Star Wars too, that anything that is already on, 
completed. Now that the that Mandalorian they, and Grogu or, is abandoning this is, Disney The Mandalorian Plus. Grogu movie is what makes me think that this is over. That uh, they were like, oh, season three, no, 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 or season four, whatever the fuck we're on. I can't even remember with uh, Mandalorian. We're just going to do a movie. And oh, we, we'll give you Ahsoka season two because we kind of owe you that. We have like two other Star Wars shows. There's nothing else on that sl- TV slate. And there's nothing else besides the Agatha show and Daredevil in theory, which is getting reworked or like they have, the iron, they have Ironheart done. Do they though? Like where it, that show is not on the 2024 calendar at all. Uh, they have Ironheart done. And that? They have the uh, animated. Uh, they have uh, Wakanda series. Oh, and that that's coming this year. That's on the release calendar. But that again, even if Ironheart is done and somehow coming out in 2025, that's done. Yeah. Will they ever make? another Marvel television show in this I, kind of vein. I don't know. I think they now have data on what a reasonable dump is like. So like five episodes of <laughs> Echo. A, here, let me give you a little data on a reasonable, a reasonable dump. Uh, five we're episodes we're, we're of getting Echo. Jordan Hoffman in on the call here. No. <laughs> I think if they're going to do episodic weekly TV series, that's going to be diminishing returns because people expect certain things from Marvel and Marvel budgets uh that are going to become untenable like you're talking about i do think there's a way to still create that content but either uh release it in a way where it's you're more likely to uh notice something that's shorter like if they released all of loki at once instead of week by week uh we wouldn't have spent a whole bunch of weeks in the middle being like what are they going to do about jonathan majors we just would have got the end of loki and been like oh I think that sort of storytelling helps them and they haven't been able to sort of create a week to week conversation in a way that benefits them or their service since WandaVision. So we've been headed that direction for a while. They just need something to stick, whether it's in theaters or whether it's on Disney Plus, they need to be making conversation with their content and whatever is going to do that for them. I think they'll throw money at it. I know that like Disney's doing bad and Marvel's doing I just bad. Think Disney but- Plus is a dead platform. I almost I think it doesn't have anything to do with Marvel and it has to do with like Disney Plus and making streaming storytelling doesn't function anymore, and that that Marvel and Star Wars are back to just being movie mega franchises. Uh, I mean, I think that'd be good for the franchises. Yeah, I think that'd be good for the franchises. I wouldn't mind uh, Disney repivoting back to animation as something that it wants to promote as the thing it does. I think that's something I've been missing from Disney since you know the the late nineties. Um, uh, so I think it has a, a way through for that. Um, uh, I just don't know if they're ready to call it yet because although they're sad about money, losing money and they're sad about lower box office, uh, it's Mar it's Marvel backed by Disney. They have unlimited money. They could try whatever they want. So I would much rather them try things like echo that I could dip in and out of on a weekend or even a day if I want to, than something like say secret invasion where they I should try realized a- it was bad the second week and had four more weeks. They should try a good television show. Mm-hmm. Have they thought about this? One that you want to watch all the episodes. It'd be yeah. interesting. It'd be I an mean, interesting twist. That, isn't that what everybody wants? Maybe that's what Daredevil <laughs> Born Again is. We'll... We might see. They're well. already supposedly end arounding it to uh, pay those people once, uh, but split the 18 episode season into A and B. So uh, we'll probably get at least two years of Daredevil if they do end up shooting it. Good luck to them. Good luck to them. Echo, and you probably got to watch Echo before you watch that. So make some time for Echo, sure. Yeah, you got some time. It's TVMA, supposedly. We'll get shot in the face. Yeah. If you touch me, then I'll be moving with you. Like, who was you? What rendezvous? Knuckles up. So what, boy, fill your cup, choose wise, your mind tell you true lies, we go toe-to-toe, homie, what's your shoe size, I took katanas, I make it hot like we in Punta Cana, duck your cameras, duck your traffic, up in some balaclavas, fucking savage, we come to ravage, flesh it like Mohammed. Uh, let's end the night on a high note. <laughs> We're not uh, ending it. Wait, are, are, field, wait, are you yep, guys going to yes, put Echo are. in the middle? Oh, yes, sorry. Yes, okay. we're sorry. letting you go sorry. early. Katie knows, knows how the podcast works. I'm um, leaving this in so you can learn how to edit podcasts. <laughs> this is the end of the podcast, and Katie's been here the whole time. It sure has. Yeah. Just have nothing to say Echo. about Echo. I have a lot of thoughts on Echo. You guys just don't deserve them. <laughs> Fair.
we caught up with a movie that I believe was on David's top 10 of the year. And when we were talking about it, we said, we should come back and talk more about this movie without you here, David. Uh, no, we, that was not our exact phrasing, but it worked out that way. We wanted to watch and talk about the zone of interest. This also on my top book. 10. It, okay, it was a Dave feel bad top 10 year for me. I feel like David yammered on more about it. So we need to get your, we need to get <laughs> real deep on this one because I want to know how we even begin to, to talk and, and, and think about this deeply, deeply upsetting, unsettling. Uh, I've seen people call it experimental. I want to probe that and, and hear from you guys to see if you think it actually like achieves the, that or like deserves that title. But Zone of Interest is, is the latest film from Jonathan Glazer, who I need to take a, a, a detour here. His first film, he, he's, he's a student of the uh, music video. And if you are a fan of those like music video collections from the early 2000s, you know, Glazer was, was in the mix there. I love all of his stuff. Um, but he, he his first film was Sexy Beast. Did you guys know that they're making a Sexy Beast prequel series for Paramount Plus? I don't think Glazer has anything does to do with it. Sound like the kind of thing Paramount Plus. But how great that does, yeah. How great is it that uh that's something we're getting? Like Sexy Beast it, babies. Do we call that do we call that great? We'll we'll call it it's happening. I feel like uh, that's the kind yeah. of thing that in two years we're gonna be like, oh yeah, we learned not to do that. It's premiering next week. Wow. Let's watch uh, it. I've never Come seen on. Sexy Beast, so Sexy Beast uh, maybe I'm the movie. problem. They're making it for me. Did you see Birth as Nicole Kidman? Uh, no. Was her husband like resurrected as a get, child movie? I'm going to get canceled for not having seen Birth. Oh, I know people wow. know, but I have not, I have not seen birth. it. I have birth seen rewatch. Under the Skin. Okay, you saw Under Skin. That was definitely his most acclaimed. I think that was an A24 movie, too. And, and uh, yeah. Zone of Interest kind of reunites him with A24, which is a pretty good home for a movie that I imagine would have a tough time actually finding audiences. There's, this can't be playing in too many theaters. It's made a million dollars, so that's that's an achievement. Um, but this is based on a book by uh, Martin Amos, and I've not read. I have I, read uh, it. If oh, uh, I'll let you on. finish, but did you I mean, do uh, did you do Little Gold Men? Yes, we did the book, book club, club for this one. Yes, so we'll and point I knew. To that so yeah, so yeah, that episode it would have been last August, and we did it after Cannes. So I knew when I read it that the movie uh, diverges from it really significantly. Like it's set at Auschwitz, and it's about like mundane lives of officers, but it's really different. I mean, really, like the character in Zone of Interest is kind of loosely based on the very real person who is being played in the movie version. So like he's named I can't remember what he's named. Rudolf um, Hoss. Well Rudolf Hoss is the real guy. I don't remember what the character oh, in the right. book is. Zone um, of interest like, is a fictionalized guy. Yeah. Rudolf Hoss is the real guy. Yeah, exactly. Um and it's like all about him like having this like a crush on the commandant's wife and like actually no the commandant is the Rudolf anyway. Um it's really not that similar, but it does have that kind of same sense of unease. And it's really interesting how Jonathan Glazer kind of read this book and is like, all I want to do is make a movie set outside of Auschwitz and very vaguely connected to what's actually going on inside and go. Um, but they're very interesting to read side by side for that. You can imagine after seeing the film, and yes, as, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, we're talking about Auschwitz, we're talking about the Holocaust, we're talking about, and I feel like my long wind up to this conversation is just like, bracing to have a conversation about something so horrifying and so difficult to unpack and that uh glazer presents very simply i i think in zone of interest and and that is the point that he's trying to make your what you're saying about the book makes perfect sense katie why he would want to depart so dramatically from it because this is not a film that is has a lot of like complicated relationships or level layered drama but Glazer seems really interested in showing us this family, the house they live in, a beautiful home and this beautiful garden they've built. And then behind it to almost levels where I'm like, is this, is there comedy here? Is this mm. funny? I think asking if there's like, comedy instead of interest is very relevant. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think there is. And like, but the, the comedy is, oh, behind this is Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. Behind <laughs> this is this is smokestacks and horrifying sounds. It's like actual hell, like right next door. People have to door. close the windows sometimes because the screams are too loud. And yeah. I do think there's The mom like, fucks off because yeah. of the smell, just like midway through the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he really boils it down to those images that we see over and over and over again. Um, so, Dave, you, you put on your 
your top 10. Can you yeah. remind us why you like this hit you so hard or like, was, does, mean, it, does it feel deep to you or is the simplicity part of the joy? I've been joy? threading through the podcast. <laughs> if we're going to talk about Iran Contra, what a time to talk about American complicity in horrible mm. war, war crimes. This movie was t- uh, very much uh, a historical piece, uh, but also constantly made me, made me feel like a mirror. Uh, not so much with the stuff with the kids, which I think is ultimately some of the like more interesting things. Uh, from when he's like towards the beginning, he's letting them play in the river, and he realizes there's uh, human ashes and bones in the river, so he has to go and scrub them all uh, down. Uh, but especially the scene where uh, late at night uh, the kids are they found some teeth and they're playing with the teeth uh, in their bedroom. Uh, or a horrible sequence where we hear uh, a couple of murders while we're watching a child play with like nothing on the floor. Uh, those were all very affecting in the movie. Everything else just made me think. I wake up every day and I do something that I think is perfectly fine, and I would like to be better at it, and so I strive to be better at it. And around the world, everything is just like crumbling. And it's like, how much difference is between me and Rudolph Haas? And that's not anything that I've honestly ever asked myself before. Um, uh, and that's, I think, the the power of this movie. This movie really ruined uh, my December. I'm going to give you a little credit. I think there's a pretty significant difference between I had said this during our top Rudolph tens. Haas. Dave said he learned the real villain of Zone of Interest was him. And I was like, I, no, Dave, I think the real villain yeah. is the Nazis. Like, I, the consistency yeah. you're talking about is real. But, like, but I think I it's mean, very sure. it's very straightforward in the way that it does that. I think it really invites you to make that leap yourself. It's not going to do that for you. And even in, like, the really bold stylistic part of the movie that I guess we shouldn't spoil to the very very end where it kind of makes a more direct link to the present it's not in the interest of being like you you could be doing this too it's not it is about the banality of evil but it's not drawing a line in such a way that um it loses the power of focusing on where it is because I think you do Mm. watch this movie and like kind of get how they did it Right. Like, it's not like you empathize with these people or feel like they had a point, but like you see that the life that they're building for themselves with that wall and like you kind of understand the blinders that they managed to put on to live that way, which is scary and um, powerful, too. Yeah, I think the the grace I'm able to give them is uh, people who are in horrible situations can't get really good at compartmentalizing. And there are lots of examples in real life and in film uh, of that. Uh, This one. Uh, I think sort of bait and switched me because at the uh, for most of the movie, I understand they're in a you know really uh, interesting position. They've got all this land. Their garden is pretty badass, uh, even with they everything. Have a nice like, little pool and a and an yeah. old fashioned slide. Yeah, yep. interesting. It made it's out of wood, so- which uh, I did think about splinters. <laughs> wow. Yes. So like while it's all happening, you know, I'm definitely like you know. Uh, I, I understand like wanting to build that sort of security and safety and high position into your family. Those sort of things I understand. It's in like the third, the last third of the movie uh, where uh, Haas goes off to report to his superiors and he's just so happy. They're going to give him so many more people to kill. He's like, it's the Haas operation. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's the same guy that I was like trying to, you know, do hoops around because the narrative of the movie was like, he's doing his best. He's like, it's not just he's doing his best. He's actively enjoying yeah. doing it. He's making it. a choice to succeed in this right. world. So that's that's the choice I'm trying not to make. The question I would wonder is how much, you know, uh, splashes back on his, the wife character played by Sanda Hewler, um, because she definitely, you know, wants the status and wants that, you know, house. She's the queen of Auschwitz. She's proud of it. She's the queen of Auschwitz. Um and so at one point, did she make that choice? Because it seems like she kind of goes wherever her husband's Nazism takes him. So at some point, is she like uncomfortable with every move and just progressively like a uh, frog in the boiling water just like sort of fell into it? And it's like she's had a hard life and now she's here. And you sort of get some uh, feelings uh, like that when they're talking to each other in bed. But then again, at the end, he's on a phone call to her. But he's, you know, bragging about his thing. So, yeah. uh, and I don't think it matters. I don't think it wants you to be like, ah, oh, but what if she's a victim too? Like, that's not the point, right? It's that they are right. like 
living comfortably within this life um, and well, managed to ignore I, yeah, what's I don't happening think it's trying to get you to, to think if like be sympathetic to her or is she a victim. I think it's more about how the movie can uh, you as a viewer can drift between the kind of oil and water of these two stories that you might get caught up in the family drama and a lot of what's going on with uh, Hedwig, the wife, as you mentioned, Sandra Huller, uh, who's star of Anatomy of a Fall, a movie I haven't seen mm-hmm. yet, right? Is that Ooh, uh, Tony yeah, Ur- that'll be fun Urdman, to talk about I when love. we get there. Um, yeah, we'll have to put that one on the list. Uh, but she, I, I did get caught up in her, like, she wants to maintain this home. She has children. Her Her husband's going away or, like, wants to take them away. And you do get pulled into her perspective a little, like, this is the place I've established and I finally have my my home. Are you going to ruin our family? Um, and you can drift into that oil and then quickly Glazer will put another shot of the house and there's Auschwitz. Like, there's still Auschwitz there. And yeah, you can yeah. get well, caught in the microcosm and then get back in the, like, the juxtaposition, juxtaposition between these two things and, and lose yourself in the family drama a little bit. And I, I never found myself sympathetic, but I did find myself just like, forgetting and i feel like that sensation is kind of part of the agenda here i i don't think it's sympathetic as much as i you would recognize the smallest things that would connect me to something that i knew or that felt familiar so there's that scene where she basically like threatens the housekeeper she's like i could have your ashes spread across a field or something like that and it's horrible because it's a nazi talking to a jewish woman it is uh, even more horrifying because i've seen people threaten the help even not in that situation in like a, a very similar manner uh in my in my life something I've, I've seen and i'm always like don't do that man they're doing their jobs and these people aren't even doing their jobs they are uh working to not die at auschwitz so the fact that like even though i hope it takes a different type of uh moral uh failing to get to where the Nazis get in the zone of interest. Uh, the way from the outside, it looks exactly like uh, very relatively minor injustices that are still injustices that I see all the time. That's sort of, I think, the magic of this, but also it makes it so unsettling for me. It's like uh, much like Under the Skin and sort of like Sexy Beast, although that one's. We'll have to see how the prequel changes our reception of that one. Uh, he's he's got we incredible. We think we know the sexy beasts. Yeah, he's got incredible control uh, in terms of presenting the film the way that he wants. I mentioned on the top ten episode, I uh, watched this movie with headphones, which I would recommend for the most horrifying experience because you don't miss any of those background sounds, and they are constant uh, anytime yeah. we're in the house or outside of the house. I'd be hard pressed to say the Mika Levy score is good but it Ooh, is interesting effective oh wait I mean, just like it's like so much of her music that she's done for film not always easy listening right it's often like ethereal and cacophonous and uh i don't know it's it's otherworldly um but it's 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 adding to this kind of just unnerving nature of of glazer's stillness and um I, I did want to ask you, I've seen some criticism against the movie that because Glazer is letting the action of the Holocaust play off screen, like there's really no violence in the movie. And it's this is not Schindler's List or something. This is not like dunking your head in the horrifying actions of the of the Holocaust of what's happening in Auschwitz. Um, but I've seen him get dinged for like, well, it's, it goes too far. Like, you, if you're going to talk about this, tell people what's going on, or you're giving them an out to not think about it. Whereas I've read mm. a bunch of interviews with Glazer, where it's like, that's the, whole, that's the whole point. Like, I don't want to... He finds the movie incredibly confrontational. Yes. Um, but do you think, like, I think we'd probably all agree with him, but I don't know. Do you think there's something to the criticism and the, and the, and the, the formality of the movie, I suppose? I don't think that, that it's like, that it's not confrontational, but it does lull for me a little bit. I think once you have kind of gotten into the contrast between their lives and the campus next to them. And like, I think, I mean, I guess it changes with the night vision stuff, which maybe we can talk about, but I did like, it's not that I was like, I get the point. They were bad, but like, 
you're kind of waiting for the next move and what he wants you to think about and what he wants to show you. And it doesn't really happen until the very, very end. I think that is part of what has kept me like a little bit removed from the uh, extensive praise for this. I will say that there's a lot of um, camera. I wouldn't say camera tricks, but there's one sequence in the kind of in the middle of the movie where he starts using thermo yeah. camera work um, to track a woman or a young woman who is, is sneaking food to the Jewish people in the camp, uh, the workers. And um, there's just no explanation, right? Like it just starts happening. And I like yeah. that about the movie. A lot of the choices are like that. Yeah. We're just like, we're going to do this now. Um, yeah. And it, maybe that's enough. I mean, I didn't find myself lulled so much, maybe lost in the story a little bit, like wanting a little more narrative and, and, to to go, I guess, further into what I was saying before, where I'm like, I want to be part of the family story just to get more psychology, just to understand how they are are feeling. But he Glazer doesn't want to give us that. And I I think I understand why, but at least these kind of like formal moments and the, the music video director in him, I guess, can't resist like, let's use a thermal camera to do this whole nighttime sequence so that there's no faking it. I think that was a big thing in reading about the cinematography of the film. There's no studio lighting. In the movie, there's no movie camera yeah. lighting. It's all daytime, and if they shot something completely at night, they had to use a thermal camera to do like black and white imagery because they didn't want to fake it. Um, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, and maybe that well, adds to also, the reality uh, as well, just like the, that unsettling realness. Also, my understanding is for the house, they just set up cameras, and the yeah. cameras were described it, like, it as Big Brother, as Big Brother style. Yeah, yeah, and so they just sort of. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of angles, like looking That's down the hallway. That's something I didn't where you see get a lot. lot. Like, I didn't, I don't know if I find that terribly successful. Did you guys in, and like I can notice only... the big brother aspect of it? Yeah, where they're like, oh, we would just let the cameras roll and the, the family would just interact. But maybe this is the, the sleight of hand. I'm not supposed to know this watching the movie. And I didn't. I only yeah, read these interviews but then after what's the, the fact, purpose but like... of it? I mean, with the <laughs> right. with the thermal camera thing, like he did an interview kind of talking about how that character is based on a real person. And they had like the, the real woman's clothes and her piano like that that actress plays at the end of that sequence. And I'm like, I have no way of knowing any of this from watching the movie. Like, I didn't know who she was. I thought she was fictional for a really long time. And like he he makes a choice that he does. And I'm not going to say like it's a mistake, but it just didn't land for me because of how oblique he is in the storytelling in that part. Yeah, it's it's like almost so dioramic, uh, the, the the filmmaking. And to your point, like they're using real clothing and real props from this moment or real objects. And it's like, you would never be able to, it feels like a Roy Anderson movie. It feels like a pigeon sat on a branch or something in how constructed it feels. We know it's real, but it's not. And I, I yeah, I, it doesn't feel like it has that texture that you're describing that you would get from like, we did all the research. We did all yeah, the And I don't want it to props. be, you know, you don't want it to turn into Schindler's List. Like you were saying, like, it's not telling that story, but like, it's a weird departure. I did from... research to make myself feel better after this movie. Uh, <laughs> what because, made you, you know... feel better? Oh, they got Haas. They fucking oh, got I see. Him. I see. Oh, yeah, they did. He was <laughs> like, hanged at Auschwitz, wasn't he? Uh, 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 yeah, and then like the he tried to go on the run and pretend he was a gardener, and the like Nazi hunters that found him just beat him until he confessed. And I'm just like, wow. I'm glad that happened to him. I had to I mean, look is up. It uh, is it naive of me to think that they got? I know there's like Nazi. They were like Nazis in Argentina or whatever, but like they got most of them, didn't they? Like, I don't. The big ones I, like this. I mean, we got some pretty bad guys, depending on what uh, grace you want to extend to Nazis. Did we get most of them? Probably not. No, uh, not like most members of the Nazi party, but like most of the like leaders of concentration camps. I kind of always thought we got like most of them. I feel like that's correct, but I don't know okay. for sure. All right. Uh, someone write I in and to... tell us about judgment at Nuremberg <laughs> yeah, or whatever we're missing. Somebody write in. <laughs> I also we will had, read uh, anything in the intro. I had to look up uh, Haas's uh, very real um, affair, assaults, however you want to call it, on the woman in the camp, because there's only one scene that sort of deals with that in the, the zone of interest. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I, I had to research things to be like, surely it wasn't like this. And it was. And I felt slightly better that uh, none of these people had happy endings that we saw 
uh, but uh, not great about the authenticity. Because, like, ultimate. Okay, here's where I'll give the experimental film some space. This story has to be a film that's sound designed with, I think, some sort of score, and I think a score. The score works really well for the film that it is. Um, I think if you were to play this out like on stage or by any other sort of uh, uh, theatrical presentation method, where there's actual distance and to the the craft, right? Uh, I think that would be difficult because you would be watching nothing and you would be hearing post production elements, you know, from off screen. Maybe you have like a cutout of Auschwitz or some such thing. Uh, it feels too mundane at that point this has to be a movie where i'm trapped watching it and uh searching in 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 my uncomfortability searching for something to pull me through the movie that i don't feel horrible about and because of that i get interested in the mother character coming to visit i get interested in hedwig's speech about her garden and being the queen of auschwitz i get interested in how the kids play and the older one locks the younger one in the greenhouse and then makes gas hissing sounds at him Mm -hmm. like i get interested in trying to figure out which at what level each one of these people is complicit because if I just let it wash over me, I'm going to feel horrible. So my mind has to start Mm. interacting with the art piece, uh, moment to moment. So I don't, you know, but I will say uh, you're making me remember something. And Katie, I wonder if you felt the same way. I don't know if your, your kids are young enough now to feel this way, but I, uh, I glazed into something in the movie that completely disarmed me. And many times there's a baby, they have a baby. And the baby is constantly erupting in tears and crying at mm. like very quiet moments, and I'm and I'm like, is you that felt, my child? You felt <laughs> like, triggered. What's? Yeah, it felt totally <laughs> disarmed. I'm like, is that uh, the nightmarish things that are happening outside? No, it's, ha- it's the baby crying here, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> and it's like, what's what? Do I worry about a baby? Do I worry about all of society? Where am I? Um, <laughs> I was just very disarmed by babies crying in in things, and in this setting, just absolutely like shivers down my spine, didn't know what would happen next, and freaking out. This movie, um, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. I, uh, I'm really glad I got to see it. I took the time. I felt like for the past few weeks, I couldn't build up the courage to watch it. I was very worried about how it would make me feel, and uh, made yeah. me feel horrible, but like, I'm mm-hmm. very glad yeah. to watch it. Uh, the Zone of what? Interest, it's in theaters. What a great Still. time to be sad. You think it's going to get some Oscars, Katie? For sure. Oscar nominations. Wow, really? I wonder what Oscars I think it could win. Could win international feature. It's Britain submission uh, because it's mostly in German, which wow, is very really? interesting. Yeah, it's a British film, but takes place mostly in another language. So that's how it works. Um, yeah, I would. I mean, I don't know. Who knows what it could win? I'm, I will tell been making nomination predictions i think it's going to get a best picture nomination for sure that'd be my strong bet wow yeah nice. uh, dave would say it deserves it top 10 of the year i think so yeah and what, what about aquaman the lost kingdom how come what about dungeons and dragons <laughs> honor I mean, among thieves the lost kingdom points a finger at society and says do better about cleaning up the oceans it so. sure does <laughs> and points, it, says, points a finger at society just like do better period like <laughs> Not great, guys. A wishbone hangs between your breasts. That does it for this week's show. I believe we agreed next week we will talk about all of us strangers. Speaking of Now that you've said it, films, we have to. They, yeah, I, I know, hey. I like doing that. I feel like there's accountability in that. Because, uh, I mean, we this, this episode kind of stumbled along till it happened and we said we would talk about Zone of Interest and damn it we did we did um, it so we'll talk about all the strangers next week in the meantime tell the people who you are I am Matt Patches I'm as mentioned on Letterboxd Blue Sky Mr. Patches we have a website fightinginthewarm.com I think we've been doing this long enough that we may have talked about Under the Skin which was so long ago now yeah I think we probably Jonathan did Glazer made another movie back i hope he makes another one sooner than later but uh well who will who knows if you if you need to bide your time go listen to old episodes of fighting in the worm fightingintheworm.com 
I'm Dave Gonzalez. I should remind you to leave a review in the Apple Podcast app, or you can also email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. I swear we will have an episode where we read them. That is definitely happening. And also, if you we run out of emails or reviews, uh, we will let David Ehrlich talk about mobile gaming. So mm-hmm. you got to make sure to send us reviews and emails. You could listen to me on the Trial by Content podcast uh, for The Ringer on the David Neal Pop Culture Adventure podcast, and uh, here, as always, in Fighting in the War Room for decades and forever. Mm-hmm. For now, now always, forever. Um, now, always, forever. I am Katie Rich. As you've heard, I'm on the Little Gold Men podcast where we had a live episode in Los Angeles with Lily Gladstone. Uh, that was cool. Um, and just we'll be talking about the Oscars next week. Um you can also find me on various social media platforms, including Letterboxd, which I'm enjoying a lot, at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. We're all on places, namely, I don't know, I don't know if we're tweeting from anywhere. Twitter, but you can Blue still tweet Sky. Yeah, you can still tweet at us in those places or come get in touch at F-I-T-W-R, um, where you can maybe suggest the mobile game that uh, we should all learn next, because I've been off Marvel Snap for a while, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of January Dump Month, what was the first movie you watched in 2024? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I'm done.